Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Sarah Hopstetter, president of Profitero. And I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of MickMath. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Today, we are stoked to have Wayne Blum, Director of U.S. E-Commerce Strategy at Diageo, onto the show. Wayne, you got to be the most popular guy in Diageo right now. So thanks for making time for us. Thanks for having me. I actually think that Drizzly has been doing a fantastic job of essentially pushing out marketing materials. And I remember there was recently an article that they pushed out where they were publicizing who were the top 10 sellers on Drizzly in 2020. And five out of the top 10 were Diageo brands. So how did this all come to be? Oh, that's a great question, Rachel. Look, I mean, so many factors came into play in 2020. It was really the perfect storm of last mile e-commerce conditions. And the overall adoption of Drizzly during that period was just astronomical. But for our team, I think it really came down to saying, what are our goals we're going to set forward to win in e-commerce? And then what is the plays in which we need to build to do that? And so when we thought a lot about Drizzly, as well as everywhere else we sell alcohol online, we really historically took an approach where we understood the business, looked at a lot of data, structured really great relationships with partners like Drizzly, and then really thought through what do we need to do year on year to continue to grow and win as this marketplace dynamic keeps evolving. What's not fully understood about Drizzly is that it's a marketplace of thousands of stores. And so part and parcel of winning there is first and foremost, your brands need to be available across the landscape of these retailers. And so Diageo, traditionally a business that's got excellent execution, really set us up digitally for success because by and large, our brands are available on the physical shelf. And we can then take that and equate that to the digital shelf. With that in mind, it is one of those things that consumers just don't realize. Like if they can't get a Diageo product, they just kind of say, well, I guess Diageo screwed up. Not like that there are all these independent places. And obviously you guys aren't screwing up considering the stats that are out there in the marketplace. But when you're dealing with Omnichannel, where you can take advantage of the totality of the distribution, how does the playbook change or does it? To some extent, I think... The last mile retail world, and and especially this notion of marketplaces that are serving on demand, a baseline understanding of where they are essentially clustering territorially is, is, is a fundamental for success. And so if you look at who the Drizzly buyers are, they tend to be urban, right? Drizzly is, is much more popular in New York City than it is in the flyover states right now. And that's just a function of density. I was leaning on my my prior life at Nestle in the same-day delivery business by looking at this notion of density and routing and then 
applying that to, to understanding Drizzly and other marketplaces by saying, you know what, places that have a lot of consumers, consumers that align to certain demographics, those are the marketplaces you're going to win in and or you're going to need to win in. And then as you look at where Drizzly is growing at a, at a rapid pace, it's places like New York and Boston and DC. And these are independent liquor markets. So by and large, no one's built a comprehensive e-commerce retail brand there for alcohol. So the marketplaces of Drizzly have come in and helped these retailers turn their stores into, to some extent, a fulfillment center for consumers who are looking for that on-demand delivery offering. So density, demand planning, all seem like key tentpoles of your winning strategy. I imagine the tailwinds of the pandemic have something to do with it. And I'm curious, you know, a lot of the alcohol holding companies have come out and said that they don't believe drinking at bars are ever going to reach pre-pandemic levels. I'm wondering how you're thinking about the future of on-premise drinking. I mean, this is not my area of expertise by any means, but I have to, to say that my personal opinion is there's a lot of pent-up demand. I mean, I think that we are social people and, and by and large, when the bars and restaurants open back up and when we get our vaccine shots in our arms, I think people are going to want to get back out there. What was interesting was we saw buying behaviors online that were in some ways trying to recreate the experience that you may have had with the category in a bar. So we saw a shift in the variance, you know, gin as an example, really spiked as people locked down in April and May. And what that was telling me was people love to drink in bars. They were used to having great cocktails. I think our brands are a part of that. And this transition to to buying online was to some extent trying to recreate that same experience you might have in the on-premise now in your home. But I know from my personal experience being locked down for nine months, as soon as I can get back out there and have a cocktail at a bar, I absolutely will. When you think about the future of e-commerce growth at Diageo, do you think the growth rates will continue at the pace it has right now when on-premise drinking returns or will it flatten a little? It's naturally going to flatten a little bit because you only consume so much of any category. And I think that... Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for e-commerce, look, there's the whole benefit of getting the app on your phone, Drizzly or any online retailer getting your data. And that data is invaluable when it comes to remarketing. And so if the consumer comes on board downloads the app from Postmates, downloads the app from Drizzly, has a great delivery experience. Maybe there's some added value to incentivize that first purchase. If these services deliver, if the product selection is, is robust, if people can find things and explore and navigate the category in a way that makes it really easy for them to understand, if the content that we give them about our brands augments the overall shopping experience, I envision to some extent, this sustains. We're going to see continued growth. But will we see the surges that we saw in April? I don't think so. I think it's going to be more of the compounded effect, whereas over time, people will continue to buy online, but certainly supplement some of those purchases with in-store shopping and, and obviously on the on-premise. You and I go back many years to when you were at Nestle and Nestle Waters in particular, 
almost like the OG of e-commerce was ready refresh, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you start thinking about that as like the actual last mile delivery and controlling it end to end. What are the similarities and differences? What have you learned from one to take to the next? I think I touched a little bit on understanding density and, and the role that plays. The other piece is digital media is a big component of, of all of this. And so digital advertising in a, in a direct response world, and this was, this was a big component of Ready Refresh, was not only how do we use like the traditional means of advertising to make people aware about the brand, but now how do we, in effect, take the data we're getting on our existing customers refine the advertising we're buying on digital channels and really fine-tune the ability to acquire the next customer. And so understanding that, the traditional notion of direct response advertising, that's been foundational to me from my days at Nestle, my prior days at American Express, which is another direct response business. And even now, as, a, as I think about how we work with companies like Drizzly. Question about global versus... U.S. You're head of U.S. e-commerce. Diageo is a global brand. Mm -hmm. How do you guys think about what do the markets need versus what's a good way to look at things holistically? I think that's one of the biggest challenges is when you're in the U.S., we've got weird rules, especially around LDA+. Plus. Outside the U.S., you can buy booze on Amazon. How do you guys think about even cross-border learnings or anything like that? There's a lot of central sharing. We do have a, a global center of excellence that focuses in on digital marketing and e-commerce. And so we collaborate with those teams. We share best practices. But as you alluded to, Sarah, there is this three-tiered system in the U.S. There are these tied house rules as it relates to marketing, especially in, in this emerging space like retail media, that mean we need to execute in a different way in the U.S. market than maybe our counterparts in Europe would. Amazon is a perfect example. Amazon is primarily for alcohol and Amazon Fresh and Prime Now offering in the U.S. And that's because in alcohol, you need a state-level license to make the product available within the state. My understanding is that my colleagues, when they think about Amazon in markets like Germany and France, that's actually a 1P Amazon.com offering. And so the way in which they're selling the product, the way in which they're merchandising, the way in which they're buying some of the marketing services sold from Amazon to brands is going to be very different from the way that we think about executing on Amazon's platform in the US. Piggybacking on this question, Wayne, how much of your work do you have to partner with your legal teams? Unlike other categories like Nestle, where maybe all they're doing is reviewing a contract, when it comes to strategic planning and e-com, given the three-tier system, how closely are you working with your legal teams? It's a fair question, but I don't think there's, there's actually as much legal alignment as, as one might expect, because by and large, the rules of the road are fairly straightforward for us. When we think about a retailer that is now opening up the category to sell online. The traditional ways in which we worked with that retailer are fundamentally not changing because they're selling online now. We're just making sure that the way we represent ourselves on the digital shelf is as robust as it's been traditionally built up through category management, assortment planning, sales, supply chain, as it's been in the physical retail store. 
And by and large, most of the products that are sold online from say a Meyer.com, they're actually picked from the physical shelf anyway. And so the amount of legal collaboration, I would say in the early days, it was really to help us just make the business aware of what we were seeing in the digital marketplace and get them comfortable and get their insights and opinions. But really, once it was established, it was more like, let's go. And so there hasn't been any significant legal changes that I've, I've observed until recently with the, the state supporting the on-premise accounts as it relates to delivering cocktails from the on-premise. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need legal support to figure out what our participation looks like there. All right. Before we get to the final question, I want to do some rapid fire questions. Get ready. Ready? Let's go. Favorite cocktail? Old fashioned. Bullet. Old fashioned. Favorite spirit? Neat. Favorite spirit? Neat. Blade and bow on the rocks. I think there's a theme here. It's that I, I really like bourbon. I think that's great. Have you ever tried a sweet cocktail with bourbon? I think an old fashioned's got what? It's it's got sweet vermouth in it. So I guess conceptually, I'm not a big like sweet drinks guy. You you won't find me drinking a Mai Tai or anything like that. <laughs> Sarah, where were you going with that? I happen to have tried a sweet bourbon cocktail. I didn't know where I was going with that, but I happen to have tried a sweet bourbon cocktail. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that was like an actual thing. Yeah. Look at this. I'm learning about cocktails. I like it. It had like maple syrup and apple cider in it. I mean, like that's, that's my, that's my jam. I'm like a big fall Mm. person. I like the autumn. So it's just, it happened to have been something I hadn't seen before. I always looked at bourbon as either something you kind of had on its own or old fashioned, I suppose, but to each its own. Last thing you ordered online. The last thing I ordered online. I, I mean, it's, this is like, it's nonstop since COVID started. So I did an online grocery order yesterday to prepare for this snowstorm. And it came that day? I did curbside pickup. So I bought on Amazon through the Whole Foods tab, which I actually find to be a little bit confusing right now. I think they're they're still ironing that piece out. Placed the order Sunday morning for curbside pickup Sunday afternoon. Delivery windows were all sold out. Yeah, it's tough. My daughter uh, had texted me before the snowstorm. Mom, can you send me money? I need to order groceries. And I'm like, order groceries? There's no time left to order groceries. Pick your butt up and go to Fairway. And she's like, Ma, it's cold outside. Oh my, when I was your age, and I was like, oh my God, I just said when I was your age. It was very bad. She ended up getting it on Instacart, but whatever. Rachel. So with that, Wayne, our favorite question, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? The bravest thing I've ever done. This is a good one. In terms of like applying the pressure and pain on myself, it had to be starting full-time business school program while working full-time at Amex two weeks after my first daughter was born. So first weekend classes started was like early September. My first daughter was born August. I don't know if that was brave, stupid, or just a test of my personal fortitude, as well as my wife's. I would have to say that was one of the bravest things I've ever done. Was business school worth it? The part that was most worth it was making some good friends, socializing a little bit. For me, I think the first semester's finance class was probably the best thing. I didn't know the finance 101 stuff and and learning that. But once you got into 
marketing and all these other classes, I think it's debatable because what does a marketing class in 2009 have to do with today's world of, of digital marketing? I don't know. So uh, that's a good question. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Folks, if you want to see who's trailblazing through e-commerce and spirits, you got to pay attention to what's happening at Diageo. It's wildly impressive. So thank you, Wayne, for joining us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.